You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Yep. First concert I ever saw. The Ran Duran with the payola's opening. You got the eyes of a string. Elliot, I don't know the last time I said, I can't wait to watch the Ducks and Coyotes play again. Welcome to uh, 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the all-new GMC AT4 lineup. And that's where we are now. I think what we should do is I think we should break this into two parts. Okay. Part number one is, you know, what happened on Friday in the aftermath and what we think, if anything, should change because of that. Yes. And part two is Tyson Nash and the interview we gave to Craig Morgan on Sunday. That's the way I think we should break it down because I think these are two separate storylines. There's a whole bunch of things and I've kind of got it separated into a number of different categories here for the purposes of of the podcast here today. But yeah, there's going to be the incident or should we say incidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we should also talk about the initial Tyson Nash commentary while the game was live Mm -hmm. and then the subsequent and I'm doing the air quotes thing here, a clarification uh, that he made. I don't Craig know if Morgan. that was much of a clarification. No, as much as it was a doubling down, but we're going to get there. Don't worry, folks. We're yeah. going to get there. We're going to get there. And I think we should spend some time talking about the Tamo Solani tweet as well. I mean, this yeah. is a Hall of Famer commenting on this moment. There's some gravity there, but let's talk about the event. Let's start there. And uh, as much as we can, let's try to give this a 360 here comes your favorite term, Rashomon view of this thing. Let's try to get it from all the different angles here, starting with the Anaheim Ducks. What was Anaheim's main beef here? Okay, so we've talked about this a little bit. I want to start a little bit at the end because I, I like to keep it fresh for the audience because the audience has heard a lot of the debates about this. You know, Jennifer and Kevin had a great debate on Saturday night. Here it is. Jay Beagle played on Sunday against Chicago and Troy Terry did not play on Sunday against Edmonton. And I think that we have to look at this and say, is this the outcome that we should all find acceptable out of this? And I like a tough game. I like a tough game. I want hockey to be a tough game. To me, I want a skilled game and I want a tough game. I want both. I am greedy, Jeff. I want both. You know, the the thing that I look at here is it's not good for everyone that Troy Terry couldn't play on Sunday. And I think that's what we all have to kind of look at here and say, do we like that outcome? And if not, how do we make the outcome better? I think that there's people in Anaheim who think that they're fortunate. They are kind of relieved that Troy Terry isn't as badly injured as they initially thought. Like I was told by a player that they thought that he had a broken orbital bone and those players were really shaken when he got off the ice and that incident was over on Friday night. And that's why Zegers was mad, and I have no problem with Zegers speaking up. 100% Lewis. And I get you're going to hit me in the back, but you don't punch a guy when he's down, especially a 32-goal scorer in the NHL who's a superstar. Um, I think it's embarrassing. I think it's a bad look for the league. And for the player that did it, it's, it's humiliating, and I think he should be fucking punished. And the Ducks were furious. They were mad at the situation. They were mad at the linesman. The players were shaken up. The coaches were furious. You know, obviously, they were waiting 
to leave and their flight was delayed, I think, a little bit because Terry had to get some care. And they were just mad at the whole situation because they thought he was seriously injured. Now, fortunately, he's not as seriously injured as uh, they thought he was, but he still couldn't play on Sunday. I think the number one thing I look at out of this is I like a tough game, but I think if we're going to fight, it has to be willing participants. And I think the Ducks were upset that the linesmen didn't get in there faster, but I think they were also upset that Jay Beagle and Jay Beagle doesn't have a ton of fights. I think 99% of the players would tell you that Jay Beagle is an honest player with a great reputation, but on this night, he went too far. And what I could see coming out of this is a conversation about unwilling participants in fights. And that's where I wonder if we're going to go, because just to tell everybody here, we're doing this podcast a second time. We had an initial podcast and we ripped it up and we're doing it again because of new information. But there was one thing you said in the first podcast we did that I was talking to a former player, and this is a retired player who played a tough game. And you made a point that what happened between Beagle and Terry for all this code that some people hate in hockey. That is, if you want to follow this unwritten sort of hazy idea of what the code is, that's not the code. You don't fight unwilling participants. Mm -hmm. Like I looked at that entire situation and I said there, there were two code violations in that one. Again, the unwritten code. The one unwritten code is don't poke at the goaltender when you're up five nothing late in the third period. We'll get to that in one. a blowout game. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. But I'm saying if you don't like that, mm-hmm. and obviously, you know, Jay Beagle did not like that. Mm-hmm. There was also another code violation, which is throwing punches at someone who's not engaged in a fight with you. Mm-hmm. At that point, that is not a fight. And the penalties did reflect that. Like Jay Beagle got the five for fighting, Troy Terry got the two minutes for roughing presuming just because he came in to grab uh, Jay Beagle, he got the the two minutes there. But that's not what you do. Terry did start the altercation. Like it was the the cross check from behind and then Terry came in. But it reached a point there where, and I think a lot of tough guys would tell you, a lot of people who played the game as tough guys would tell you, that reached a point where it had to stop. Like that moment was treating dandruff by decapitation. (laughs) Nice reference. No, but that's what that was. That was like a that was a huge overreaction. I think we all know what Troy Terry was doing at that moment. Troy Terry was coming in just to grab Jay Beagle to calm everybody down. I don't think Troy Terry had any thought in his head that he's going to come in there, snap his mitts, and start exchanging punches and stretch out with Jay Beagle. I don't think he thought that for one second. I think he just thought, okay, here's what we do in this situation. I grab the guy that's just cross-checked my guy, and we all calm down. Yeah. And maybe it's offsetting roughing minors maybe there's a couple who knows? of like gloves to the face like yeah the face wash and that yeah but instead jay beagle unloaded and there was a point too and it was really gross elliot and listen you've seen it we've all seen it where it kind of looks like troy terry is going limp a little bit on his feet yes and beagle kept throwing Ugh. I got that. Like, I remember the first time I felt that in a fight was, and I was really young too. And I watched that Dave Schultz, Dale roll fight from 74. And I thought, Oh, this has got to stop. Like this, this thing is over. And he just kept going. Like I'm with you. Like at that point, it was like, that's got to stop. Like Terry's intent isn't to come in and start a fight with Jay Beagle. If a couple of punches happen. Okay. But then when, like when your opponent goes limp, and it becomes really obvious that he's not going to throw anything back. Mm-hmm. Don't you have to stop? So this former player, and again, this is a guy I communicate with a bit, and I, I think he's really smart. And he said to me what he would have done if he was in the NHL was he would have given Beagle a hearing. Like I don't think you could suspend Beagle for that. If we're suspending Beagle for that, we're going into a bigger conversation into are we banning fighting? which, you know, at some point down the road probably happens, but I don't know that that's happening now. I don't know if you could suspend Beagle for that, but what he would have done is he would have, he said they should have given him a hearing. 
and at least you know made him think that he might be being suspended and send a message to the league that to everyone in the league that we're taking another step here to say that there has to be a level of control like Tyson Nash in in his interview talks about you know when he played and Joel Quenville saying Joel Quinville didn't allow me on the ice in the last five minutes of the game. If I was, because I was always yelling and smirking and chirping at the other bench. So he was trying to save my life, right? But I also knew that because I did that. And in the time, I totally understand what he's talking about. We've kind of moved on from that. Like times change. But what this guy was saying to me, and I kind of agree with it after thinking of it more is, I think that we should have put it into everybody's mind that now we we have to do this. Like, are you fighting with a willing participant? And, you know, one of the examples that was brought up to me was last year in the playoffs, Ryan Reeves was suspended for one game for kneeing Ryan Graves in the head during the Colorado Vegas series. And that was where, you know, Colorado was blowing out Vegas and I think it was the first game. Mm-hmm. And Reeves was, you know, sending a message. He cross-checked uh, Grubauer and then he picked a fight with Graves who wasn't fighting with him and he needed him and he got a suspension. What this person said to me was that was a deserved suspension because Graves in that point was not a willing participant. So what I'm saying here is, I don't have as big a problem with fighting as other people do, but I think now we're in the phase where I look at this and say, is it willing participant time? And you can tell me if you think I'm wrong, but that's what I think. So a couple of things there. Um, On the Anaheim broadcast, um, John Olives and Brian Hayward. um, Brian Hayward took aim at the Department of Player Safety and said this is a... What strikes me about this is that this is Anaheim's star player. This is their leading goal scorer. And the league often talks about the fact that they are going to protect star players in this league. So let's look at what the Department of Player Safety has done about this. I'll say that again. The Department of Player Safety. Nothing has happened to Jay Beagle at this point. Absolutely nothing. And this is the department that said that they were really going to pay close attention to headshots. Well, I don't know about you, but when you fight a guy who hasn't dropped his gloves and you fill him in, that's a headshot. And that demands some kind of response from the Department of Player Safety. And, and let's, let's think about this. The one thing that I keep coming back to is, and timing is everything here, Elliot. And if this game happens one week previous, then we are having that discussion. Because going into the general manager's meetings, good point. that's what everybody is talking about. And moreover, it gives all the assembled media there a chance to get all the GM's thoughts on it on record. Because that will have been tabled, that will have been discussed, and that would have been the big discussion point going in. I remember going in, we were all talking about, oh, what's the discussion about LTIR and we're going to get our World Cup update, et cetera. And that was, you know, those were the you know, a couple of the, the big issues. If this doesn't happen last Friday, but it happens the Friday before, heading into West Palm, this is all anybody's talking about. And this becomes a real issue. And then, Elliot, we are having that conversation. And then we are having the conversation that I think you're talking about, that if it isn't willing participant here, we're talking about supplemental discipline. So we'll see if this goes anywhere in the off season. Is this something that picks up steam? But I, I, I do think that maybe it's time to have this conversation that it's more than just a five and you sit this is supplementary discipline unfortunately it takes a bad result for things to be discussed right or things to change again like i do want to say this i think i think when jay beagle retires he's going to go down as a guy who's a very honest player he had a really bad moment on friday night and Troy Terry was injured and it could have been a lot worse. In the moment, the Ducks thought it was a lot worse. And right now, Troy Terry's out of the lineup. And I think you you have to look at this and you have to say, okay, we avoided a worst case scenario here. Thank God. Yeah. Okay, what do we have to do? I thought a lot about what you said about sometimes people misuse the code or misinterpret the code or they twist it into their own way. But I thought that was a great point that you made that was going to be lost 
to podcast ether if it wasn't brought up. (laughs) And that is that that wasn't the code. That was. Yeah, you don't do that. That was not right. Okay, so let's get into the Tyson Nash comments, which are really twofold. One, there are the comments during the game, and here are the comments. Uh, that's the problem sometimes with these young players. You, you want to embarrass guys, and you want to skill it up, you better be prepared to get punched in the mouth. Beagle wants to go with Fowler. I think Fowler wants to go with him. Uh, I'd love to see him let him go. Boy, I haven't seen Jay Beagle like that all season. He's fired up. I love it. Good for Jay Beagle. He's a veteran player that's been around a long time, and he's watching these young kids dance around, these fancy moves. Those were the comments on Friday night. Now, those comments in an interview with Craig Morgan, and again, I'll use the air quotes, got clarified Mm -hmm. by Tyson Nash. And essentially what Tyson Nash said was, Um, you know, when instead of maybe saying, you know, if you want to skill it up, I should have said hot dog it up. And maybe that would have been a better thing to say. And Nash went on to talk about how it wasn't necessarily the Michigan goal. Uh, They're winning five to nothing in the other team's building. And what people don't see and what they didn't see and that I did see it's the smirks. It's the celebration after the goal. It's the taunting. It's the smiling at the at the other team's bench. Uh, and then it's the poke. You, you poke the goalie. And, Craig, this has been going on for a thousand years in the National Hockey League. A thousand times a year it happens. You poke the goalie, usually something occurs afterwards. Why Trevor Zegers was in and the goalie in a 5 Nash game. said, and these are his words. And that's all I said. If you're going to, you know, do what you did throughout the game, and with the smiling and the smirking, which I saw, which doesn't always show up on TV clearly, then that is what you have to be prepared for. And to be clear, which is really nothing more than just a doubling down of what he said on Friday. There wasn't one of those, well, Your Honor, what my client is really trying to say is moments here at all. So I, I have a few thoughts on this. I listened to this. I went to the Kyle Lowry uh, return game in Toronto mm-hmm. on Sunday night, and I listened to it when I was when my my buddy who I went to the game with was driving me home. Uh, you know, I, I made him listen to this because I said we, we got to redo the podcast, so you got to listen to this with me. And it was so. First of all, it confirmed what we all kind of thought, right? That the Michigan really had nothing to do with this. Correct. And Tyson Nash did mention that. And again, he talked about how much he respects and admires Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras and is someone that admires skill. He made it more like it was about the taunting and the smiling and the smirking. This was not about the Michigan. It was about the smirking and the smiling right. and the poking at the goaltender up 5 nothing late in the third. On one level, I was happy to hear that confirmed because the Michigan is good for hockey. So right now I'm looking at on, on Sunday night at, and it's just after 11 o'clock Eastern time. I'm looking at my profile because I retweeted the Sportsnet tweet of that goal on Friday night. And it's in all caps. Trevor Zegers does it again. And it's a great highlight. And as I'm looking at it right now, it's got 11,000 likes mm-hmm. and it's got over 800,000 views. And people love it. People love the ability of these young players. They love the skill. Like the only people who don't like the Michigan are people like you who have now proclaimed it boring, Jeff. (laughs) I know. I'm such a hipster that way. And and look, the other thing too is like, I don't see a lot of people complaining about this. Nobody who really matters anyway. And, you know, this year the NHL created a spot for Zegers at the all-star game because Anaheim wanted Troy Terry to get there because they felt he deserved to be there. And so like, I understand that. And the NHL said, okay. And this is one of the, to me, one of the smartest things the NHL did this year was they said, all right, but we're finding a way to get Zegers there. And nobody complained about it. I I was glad to hear that what I assumed was true, that this really wasn't about the Michigan was true. (laughs) What's one of my bingo lines. I'm only going to judge Others, the way I judge myself, 
like we've all had bad moments on live TV. Nobody's had a worse moment on live TV than I have. I am very sensitive to this. You know, I really wish that Nash had said I had a bad moment when it came to that because the sport got hammered because people thought that it was true that it was because of the Michigan goal. And if I was in his shoes, I would have personally said, I really regret that that happened because, you know, the sport took a beating. As for the rest of what he said, look, Jeff, this is my impression. What he is saying is exactly the way the Arizona players felt. And it's got nothing to do with the Michigan goal, but, you know, it was a night that Anaheim was dancing around them. And they were frustrated. Arizona was frustrated. They were getting killed at home and they were pissed off and they just rebelled. And I'm not saying that's right. Like I said at the top of this podcast, what happened to Terry was not right. But I think Tyson Nash is saying the truth that he sees it because he's between the benches that night and he thinks those Arizona guys are getting clowned by those Anaheim guys. And I think in that moment, He's telling the truth as he saw it. I don't think it excuses what happened to Terry. I wish that, you know, he'd said like, you know, I kind of, I feel bad for about the way the sport took a beating because I misspoke the first time, but I think he's telling the truth about what he saw. Do you think I'm wrong in any of this? Nope, I don't. I mean, it it does point out, let's not be so thin skin that smiling and taunting is going to drive you to violence, but we're going to, we're going to get there in a second. You know, the other thing I think, too, is I kind of wonder about all this. And Nash didn't say this, but I've wondered about it. If there's a little bit of in Arizona, like everybody mocks us. They make fun of our arena. They make fun of our team. And I wonder if there's just a little bit of, you know what? You don't like us. Well, we don't like the way we're treated, too. I think there's... And again, this is like way out of the realm of my expertise. Uh, I just try to put myself, you know, you always talk about, you know, not, you know, only judging people the way you would judge yourself. I always try to put myself in someone else's shoes and someone else's life. I think that it's a good way to live your life if you lead with empathy and empathy forces you to place yourself in someone's position to see his or her point of view. And I'm just wondering if, you know, at that point, you know, Tyson Nash commenting on what he's seeing, is that a wink at Tyson Nash seeing himself more as Jay Beagle in his career than Troy Terry or Trevor Zegras? And hockey is a sport that allows a lot of different people with wide discrepancies in skill to share the ice at the same time. Is there that element of envy jealousy i don't know because i'm not in his head i'm just trying to imagine like if i'm tyson nash at that point who am i empathizing with and i do get that he is a broadcaster for the arizona coyotes and as such you are obliged to call the game from that perspective Mm -hmm. but at that moment i'm always I'm, i'm thinking to myself who does tyson nash put himself in the place of here tyson nash closer to Jay Beagle than he was to Troy Terry. Mm-hmm. That's the place of sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. That's what he can understand and that's what he can justify because the way that he played is more similar to how Jay Beagle played on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see that. Like I can understand the part where he's talking about the frustration that the Coyotes players have you know, getting clowned by the Ducks guys when they score. I get that. I I, I understand that. I, th- I think we all do. Mm-hmm. You know, the part where Morgan asks Nash. Did Jay Beagle go too far? Do you think there was a point when he should have backed off because it looked like Troy Terry was vulnerable? No, no, not at all. Not at all. When you are in a fight. Yeah, I completely disagree on that one. At that moment, I went, I went, oh. The first 20 minutes of this podcast tells how we feel about it right yeah but that was the one where i went oh man even if i could have understood before nash's perspective on this is how the coyotes players were feeling at that point sorry you totally lost me 
I think you said it. He's coming at it from his perspective, the perspective he understood as a player. Yeah. Look, I think you and I feel the same way that you and I both like tough games. Neither one of us is anti-fighting. I like my games full of great skill and great toughness. I like meanness. I like intimidation. I like people who overcome in the face of intimidation, in the face of odds. But I don't like what happened. I think it was wrong. I I don't think it's a good look. At the end of the day, I care about what's best for the, the sport. And the outcome that we had was not the best for the sport. So how do you fix it? How do you fix it is you have the conversation that we talked about earlier. Exactly. That's the beginning of it. Now, this caught the attention of uh, a very famous former Anaheim Duck, and that's Tamu Salandi, who also happens to be a Hockey Hall of Famer, who also happens to be someone that follows the game quite closely, and yep. tweeted out a picture of the very mangled face of, of Troy Terry on Saturday and, and had this to say, quote, don't like how these young ducks get pushed around. We need a couple of Tidomies here now. Joke is over. Now, I'm not sure how you saw that, but I saw that as a direct shot at the general manager, that that was a shot at Pat Verbeek, who wasn't providing enough of a security blanket uh, around who Timu calls these young ducks. And listen, he had that with Nick Delorier, had that with Josh Manson as well. But those two players were jettisoned at trade deadline. We all know that Burbeek wasn't going to let anyone walk away at the end of their contracts. I looked at as, that as a, as, as a direct tweet towards the general manager. Did you see it the same way? I didn't initially, but when you said that, then I, I did. I saw it as just a player saying, we don't have enough of these guys anymore and maybe we should. Like just in general in the game. Mm -hmm. Like I did wonder if Getzlaff playing would have changed some things. You mentioned this on the uh, the podcast. The, that is, that we, is now we keep been referring lost, to the now to deleted the, pod. <laughs> that has gone down the, the podcast black hole, never to be heard, seen or heard from again. And I thought about that a lot this afternoon because we've seen this happen before when there's someone that has that presence on the ice mm -hmm. who tells everybody to settle down who's been around the game for a long time and who's a respected veteran that tells everybody to settle the F down. They do. Yeah. I wondered if Getzlaff was there, would this have happened? And Getzlaff's not, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's not, you know, a Ty Domi. I'm not saying that to insult Ty Domi because I'm really not trying to. He's not Ty Domi, but he's an imposing figure who can do things to even up the game physically if he wants to. And I do wonder if Getzlaff is there or things different. And I would bet that in the aftermath of that game, Getzlaff, who isn't with the team, is probably steaming. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after you said it, and then I thought about the trades they made, yeah, it probably was a little bit of a shot across the bow at Verbeek. And, you know, the other thing, too, is Verbeek, who was one of the toughest players in the league when he played. He was tough, too, yeah. You know, he probably also sees the change. Like, do we need this anymore? And I would bet that that's going to change next year. I actually, I should, I should say, let, let me just say this. I, like, do we need this anymore? Might not be the right answer. It's more like, I think when Pat Verbeek got the job in Anaheim, like one of the things was we're tearing it down and we're starting again. So it's like everything must go sale. Yeah. And that includes, you know, the likes of the two guys, Manson and, and Delorier, who are UFAs. And maybe Delorier's back next year, Jeff, but. I wonder if Verbeek's looking at it and saying, you know what, it just, it can't be just that much of a blanket feeling. We might just have to say, you know what, these guys are going to have protection. Mm -hmm. There's one last thing I want to talk about in this game, and that is the mystery of Phil Kessel. <laughs> Where did that come from? So someone says to me, look at the penalties. I got, what is it, 1423 or whatever it is? Yeah, it's late in the third. So Phil Kessel gets a game misconduct. Why does Phil Kessel get a game misconduct? I don't know. What did he do? He must have said something. Well, you know, he's not arguing against anything that happened on the ice. Like, do you think he's ripping Jay Beagle, the referees? No, I don't <laughs> think he's doing that. That's the mystery. Phil Kessel, in his own way, 
is one of the smartest players in the league. There's some angle here that I got to figure out why Kessel got a game misconduct. Okay, well, now you've put everybody on alert because now this is going to be hunted by everybody. I have a theory, but I have to try and prove it first. <laughs> I want you to just put it on here now. People have been no, bored. We bored people now for 20 minutes. They've tuned out. It's a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea to just throw it out there. Okay, so we will try to uh, find out why Phil Kessel got punted from that game. Phil's got to be careful. He's got a record to catch here. Yes, he does. He's got a, he's got a record to catch. Yeah, let's, let, let, let's get there now because people, I mean, so most notably Mike Rupp had a, a video he released on his Twitter feed uh, about this as well. So Keith Yandel's Ironman streak comes to an end Saturday as the Philadelphia Flyers lose to the Toronto Maple Leafs and the streak ends at 989. Phil Kessel, the chase is yours. You know, Mike Rupp in his video talked about how the Iron Man streak now is fabricated and it's not but legit. We got to stop finessing and manufacturing and fabricating things to get records. Like, how many times do we have to see this happen? I mean, honestly, Keith Yandel was supposed to get scratched when he was in Florida. And the whole internet blew up and was losing their minds about it. And almost it kind of like guilted this organization in Florida to, to keep it going. And then he got the record. And here we are in a situation. You can't tell me the best thing for the Flyers right now. If he is not playing well, he shouldn't be in the lineup, especially when they need to play 15 in these 15 games, the kids, right? And, and, and that's even so if this thing and it looks like it's coming to an end, looks like Phil Kessel's next in line. Phil streak should have ended. They fabricated manufactured they flew him home got a charter flight for him to fly where, where was it chicago is that where the game was he played one shift a couple of things here uh what do you make of yandel's iron man streak and what do you make of mike rupp's comments i think it's also more i think it's kevin hayes i, I think it how it got handled you know last year when that thing happened in florida like the story goes that the Panthers called him in the off season at some point close to uh, training camp and said, you know, you're, you're not going to play the streaks ending. And Yandel was angry that he wasn't given a chance in training camp to prove he deserved to be on the roster or at least part of their opening night lineup. And his teammates rallied around that. They said, this is not right. He deserves the chance to prove and they felt he was not given a fair chance, which is one of the reasons the Panthers reacted the way they did and won the argument. I got the sense this year that there was a little bit more of the season was unraveling for Philadelphia. Well, I don't think he liked it. I don't think anybody would like it. I think there's a general feeling he understood this call a lot more than the one last year. Now, there were people who said, you know, give him the last game, 11 games, get him to 1,000, and then scratch him. I had a long talk with a coach about this, and he agreed with Rupp. We actually talked before Rupp put his video out, and then I sent him Rupp's video, and he sent me about like 5,000 clappy emojis in response. And he just said, "Hang that, on, which coach talks with clappy emojis to you?" Yeah, 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 it was one of them. <laughs> and you know, he understands why they're important to players. He does. It's a badge of honor to show up, and it's never an issue when the player deserves to be in the lineup. But eventually, you get to points where another player deserves to play. And you're holding people out of the lineup that don't deserve to be held out. And he said, you get some players who react like the Kevin Hayes. I thought he was really good. I, I love this team. I love this city. I love this organization. It's, it's decisions need to be made every day. Us players don't make those decisions. And it's truly on us. The reason why he probably had to sit out a game. And, and uh, I can't say I agree with it, but the impact that Keith has on myself and uh, the guys in that locker room is something that can't be measured. Uh, I mean, I know I know. sometimes the media is all over him, but what he provides to some of these young guys in this team is something that no one else can do. I know he's one of my best friends, but the way he goes about his everyday life is, is uh, truly professional. Uh, he's a role model for a lot of people. I think if you ask every person in that room what they think about Keith, you're going to get a lot of positive feedback. Um, 
this guy's been playing since 2013. He hasn't missed a game since then or 2011 and shows up to the rink today. He's the last guy to leave the rink. It's something that he strives to be. He's truly a professional human and he's helped his team a lot this year. Uh, guys in that locker room. And some of the Flyers players were angry and Hayes said that he didn't like it because they don't care about prospects, nor should they. They know Yandel. They like Yandel. They want him to continue his streak. But this coach said, and I think this is true, there's other players who look at it and say, like, this is BS. Yeah. You know, sometimes you reach a point where someone else deserves, it's not that Yandel's bad or anything, but it gets to a point where someone else deserves a chance to be in the lineup. And players notice these things. And he said that as an organization, you become hostage to streaks because someone deserves to play and they can't play or that person plays himself out of the lineup, but you don't think you can take him out. Like there's one person who said to me that they would not be surprised if this came to the forefront in Philadelphia after Nick Sealer fought Nick Delorier. Oof, that was a heck of a fight. So Nick's like talking about fighting people out of your weight class. Jeez. You know, Nick Sealer fights one of the most fearsome guys in the league. And this is his theory. He's saying, I bet you, you know, the Flyers have some kids. They're, they're signing a bunch of college kids. They want to put them into the lineup. They've got some prospects. Yeah. And, you know, they're also probably sitting there and saying, you know, Sealer did that. We shouldn't be taking him out of the lineup after that. And, you know, he's going to play on some pairings with some of these kids, and maybe that could be a pairing for the Flyers next year. This coach said to me, he says he would bet everything he owned that Sealer fighting Delorier and Yandel being scratched the same week was not a coincidence, that the Flyers felt that they couldn't scratch Sealer after that. You know, I mean, it's a good theory. I don't know if it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this was solely a Mike Yo decision. I think this was an organizational decision. I think there was a long conversation either Thursday or Friday, and they just decided if everybody was healthy or, or they had a full lineup, that's what they were going to do. But there was one coach I had a long talk with, and, and he said, and he also believed there's one team out there that did not trade for Kessel for that reason. And he wouldn't tell me who it was, but he said it was a team that was really deep, that thought about Kessel, and ultimately decided not to do it because... Didn't want to break the streak? They didn't want to break the streak. And they wanted to have the ability to, you know, healthy scratch him here and there. Like in and out, and best players play. And he said, this is a team that's good enough to compete, and he thinks that this organization looked at it and said, it's going to be a problem in here that we don't need. Hmm. And so I, I just thought that was an interesting perspective. But the thing is, like, when I look at Yandel, I'm going to remember a guy who played 989 straight games. Like, I'm not going to think about him getting scratched. I'm not going to think about that he just missed a 1,000. I'm going to think about that this is a guy who had the record. And maybe it's because I'm just an optimistic, nice person, but that's the way I look at it. Do you think that, um, because I I had always wondered about, you know, uh, Keith Yandel and the Flyers this year, was there a promise that we'll get you to the record? I believe 100% there was. We'll get you to the Ironman number. I don't know if part of that conversation as well was, but after that, Keith, all bets are off. I don't know. I don't know if you have that conversation. I think it's more like we're getting you to the record. Brian Burke traded Brad May from Toronto. I want to say it was to Detroit, but I can't remember. And wherever he traded him, he said, you have to commit to me that you're getting Brad May to 1,000. And they did. This year with Toronto, you know, Wayne Simmons has been in in a lineup lately, but the Maple Leafs were committed to getting Simmons to 1,000. He wasn't going out for any stretch until he got there. I do think those conversations happen and uh, people are expected to live up to their promises. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. 
one of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. As we talked about last podcast, Elliot, as teams get eliminated, uh, we discuss what's going on with them. Let's do two quick notes before we we do the, the Devils. The Buffalo Sabres continue to have, I know they're they're one of the bottom teams in the NHL in terms of the standings, but they continue to hit home run after home run after home run so good. in the last two months of the season. And uh, the Rick Janaret tribute on Friday night was brilliant. They beat the Predators and, uh, you know, it was great to see the building full. And uh, those Sabres fans, you guys deserve a lot of credit because that was Jennerette's night and you made it special. And then how about those players inviting them on the ice after that was great. the game? That was such a great, honestly, dude, I'm watching this thing and it's, you know, we've always said, you know, there's two places in the world they do ceremonies properly. You've heard me say it before, um, Buckingham Palace and the Bell Center. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you can throw KeyBank into that on Friday because that what they did for Jennerette bringing them on the ice around the team like that. That was beautiful. What a beautiful touch. So normally we call those an upper deck home run. This is too good for an upper deck home run. I think upper deck undersells it. This is a Reggie Jackson 1971 all-star game home run. (laughs) And if you don't know what I'm talking about, and I know it's a really old reference, Google it. Reggie Jackson 1971 all-star game, Tiger Stadium, almost hit it out of Tiger Stadium. That's how good that was. It's one of those home runs where the pitcher doesn't even look over his shoulder. He just calls for the ball from the umpire. The pitcher gets mad at the outfielder because the outfielder doesn't even move. And the pitcher says, could you at least make an effort? (laughs) At least try to trot back to the warning track something. Make it look like it might stay in the... Yeah, that's what that one was. But, you know, as, as a quick note about the Buffalo Sabres, too, and even though the the momentum started to turn before the Eichel return game, yeah, I mean, we talked about it at the moment. You wondered whether this was going to be like the big pivot point for the Buffalo Sabres. And again, we'll see about that one. There's still a lot of hockey this and, and next year. But, man, ever since that Eichel game, this has really seemed like a different Buffalo Sabres team. No question. It's a confident team. It's a it's a skilled team. It's a team that's getting contributions from a lot of different places. Dare I say, Elliot, the Buffalo Sabres are a fun team to watch. All of a sudden, like, where once upon a time, it's like, oh, I can, you know, I'll, I can hang for a period and a half watching the Buffalo Sabres, and then I got to go elsewhere. Now it's like... You can watch the Buffalo Sabres for three full periods. Well, look, it's time for them to be good. It's been too long and the market's too important. That's the way I look at Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing we got to mention is, I, I don't know what's going on in Dallas, but... Same thing has happened all season. They keep making the West interesting. So we just saw that their game ended tonight. They just lost to Seattle in regulation. And... Vegas won. Vegas won again. Dallas has four games in hand on them. They're only a point back. Like, like the math is really, really good for Dallas. They're making this too interesting. They are Taylioni, Ben Stiller, flirting with disaster a little bit here. I, I'm really surprised they haven't grabbed more of a hold of this. I've told you from day one this season, or from pretty much day one, they are the most intriguing team to me because they can rip off eight wins in a row and then turn around and lose nine. One night they can look like a Stanley Cup contender. The other time you think, well, I wonder if they can win the lottery. Like it really is like a toilet seat at a stag and doe. Like you don't know what's happening with the Dallas Stars. They could do anything. What a ridiculous line that is. It's great though. It's a good line. It's, that's a good line. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Thank you. Appreciate that one. All right. So Devils. Oh, can I get there now? <laughs> yes. Now you can talk about the Devils. Okay. Now, now I can talk about the New Jersey Devils. So the New Jersey Devils uh, were officially eliminated last week when they lost 8-1. to one. Okay. 8-1 to one to the Boston Bruins. Tough, tough night for New Jersey. 
But then they spin around and blow a 6-2 lead against the Florida Panthers and lose that game. And then earlier on today, I don't know if you, you watch much of their game against the Islanders, they lose that one. Jack Hughes gets injured in the hit with Oliver Wallstrom. P.K. Subban fights him right after. What a few days for the New Jersey Devils. They get eliminated by the Bruins. They blow a huge lead against the Florida Panthers. They lose Jack Hughes and lose against the New York Islanders. And guess who the goaltender of record is for the Islanders? Yeah. Yeah. Corey Schneider. Yeah, it's it's great. You know, my kids, when they were here, um, they were 4-2. and two, So they kind of remember me playing, but not really. So it's been a while. And uh, my son's obsessed, and he watches all the highlights and knows all the players now. And he's kind of like, when are you going to play, Dad, you know, for the Islanders? And I said, well, buddy, you know. You got to wait your turn and just keep working hard. And uh, so, you know, and again, like I said, my wife and my daughter, they've been uh, really patient and, and just supportive of me, you know, continuing to work, even though it hasn't uh, always been for the opportunity to play, but you never know. So, again, this is, you know, for them. And, uh, you know, obviously, I mentioned you guys might know a year ago, I lost my nephew to a, the house fire, and he was a huge hockey fan, huge, huge fan of, of me and, and the Devils and then the Islanders. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think he was here tonight helping me out because, uh, you know, I had a few bounces, a few breaks that went my way, and I know he would have loved to have been here. So uh, some of his, his brothers were here and um, their stepdad, so um, that, that was a really nice feeling to have them here as well. The guy hadn't played in two years. His last game was with the Devils too. Yeah. And, and, like, if you ever dealt with Corey Schneider, he is one of the awesome real guy. nice people in the game. Obviously, it's been a very, very hard run for him. I'm uh, I'm really really happy for for Corey Schneider. You know, as for the Devils, there's one goal they're going to have this season. Goalie. And that is they're going to have to find a goalie. You know, they they're really going to have to find a goalie. And the de- what the Devils are selling to their fans and some of their players and they've said it publicly to the media too is our underlying numbers say that we are a better team. We just can't stop the puck. Well, you can't keep coming with that narrative. You know, last year they signed Corey Crawford. You know, unfortunately he decided not to come. This year they signed Jonathan Bernier. And he actually, I thought that was a good bet. You know, he had a really good year last year. And he broke down. And unfortunately the worst thing that happened to them was Mackenzie Blackwood because, you know, people forget he was on the Team Canada long list this year. Yes, he was. You know, McClancy Blackwood was on Team Canada's radar and he deserved to be there. He looked like he was heading in that way. And, you know, there were two issues that derailed him this year. One was injury. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's been a battle between Blackwood and the Devils about the, the care and treatment of that injury. And I don't know who's right and I don't know who's wrong. I just know that that's been a debate. And the other thing is, is the, is the vaccination issue. And it kind of derailed them at the start of the year. And unfortunately, it, it created a lot of hard feelings. And I just wonder, he's got a new agent. You never get a new agent when things are good. You always get a new agent when you want to change things. And sometimes, Jeff, it's just time. And I wonder if Blackwood and the Devils are looking at each other here and saying, it's time. Mm -hmm. Like, can you fix this relationship or is it time? You know, the easiest way to solve your goaltending problem, if you're the Devils, is Blackwood comes back and stands on his head and wins games for you next year. I just don't know if it's going to be possible. So I think where we are right now is how are the Devils going to identify that problem because that is question one, one A and one B that mm-hmm. they have going into next year. How different do you think this team looks elsewhere? I mean, we know. Listen, I don't think that PK Subban is coming back to the New Jersey Devils. He's on the ex- expiring contract. But you know, there are some players that have you know upcoming uh, you know arbitration. Whether it's Pavel Zaka, whether it's Jesper Bratt, whether it's Miles Wood. I would be kind of surprised if Zaka's back. I, I would be. Well, his name's been out there attached to a couple of different places. And a lot. most recently, and specifically the Montreal Canadiens. I still, you and I talked about this on radio last week. I wonder about an offer sheet for Jesper Bratt. Just that he's in that sweet spot right now, and there could be a big number. That on Brat one's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm fascinated by that one. Mm-hmm. And Miles Wood as well. 
Miles Wood, Arbrights, yeah. Jesper Bratt, Arbrights. What are you doing with Damon Severson? He wants to stay, right? That's what I heard. And you have Dougie Hamilton, and you have Ryan Graves. Man, I know there's been all kinds of whispers about Ty Smith this season, but I, I have a hard time believing that a team's going to quit on someone with that skill at the age of 22. You know, the, the thing that interests me about the Devils is they're in a spot where they've got to sell their fans on their plan, right? Yeah. What do you think their fans look at it and want? They love Jack Hughes, and why shouldn't they? They love Heischer. Mm-hmm. I bet you they love Brad. Mm-hmm. Brad, to me, is the biggest, maybe the biggest success story of the NHL this year, at least the most unheralded success story in the NHL this year. How are you going to sell not signing him there to a big long-term deal? Listen, if it's me, I'm re-signing Jesper Bratt all day long. Yeah, I I think I'm with you, but they're going to talk about the number. Like, There's always going to be talk about the number, right? They'll talk about the number, and if they're uncomfortable with the number, then you look to move them. But how do you sell that? Depends who you get back. I guess. That's the only thing. It just depends on who you get back. But to, to me, it's like, no, this is... We always talk about, you know, the biggest turnaround in the uh, in the NHL. Like, okay, who had the big turnaround season? Who finally popped, right? That's the guy. Yeah. Or one of them. And he's your guy. Like, he's a That's devil. That's the key. That's the key. And he was a devil steal. He was a late round pick that you guys discovered. Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to... Talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about, really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. A couple of things to finish up the podcast today. I want to talk to you about the Vancouver Canucks. And I want to talk to you specifically about um, the piece in the province by Patrick Johnson, the interview with Patrick Galvin. Okay, so pop down to the last couple of paragraphs. So there's a couple of quotes here. So basically what you're saying is that Patrick Johnson buried the lead. No, because the, the, a lot of the pieces get to know Alvin, so there's a lot about his background as a hockey player playing in the ECHL, etc. This is get to know the general manager. We're going to find out if he reads this podcast because I'm saying that you said that he buried the We're lead. We're going to see if he reads this podcast. Is that what I said? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's even worse. I totally butchered the joke. What else did you have other than a hot dog at the basketball uh, game? A couple beers, that's it. Okay, yeah, very good. Okay, so so here's Patrick Galvin on the team. Yeah. Quote, we have some good players here in place. I think every player down there in the room have something to prove. We don't have the superstar. We're not a contending team right now, so every single player has something to prove to us, and that's going to be the mindset moving forward. Whoa. And then 
Uh, Johnson writes, he has some tough decisions to make, new contracts, others. Yep. And the salary cap presents challenges. If you want to be a good team, there's only so much you can pay for players. You can pick and pay one or two players a lot of money, but then you know the team in front of you is not good. Well, you know, I, I think that's really interesting. It's a good quote. It's not wrong. It can be red meat in a city like Vancouver where they love their rumors. Like I've started doing like a lot of work into Patrick Alvin. I, I met him briefly this week at the GM meetings, but I don't really know him. I haven't had a lot of communication with him. And, you know, somebody told me that one of the best descriptions I got about Alvin is he's polite, but he knows what he wants and he believes in his path and he will not veer from that. And that's kind of on a level that I like to live my life too. I kind of understand that. I'm not always successful, but I try to be that way. I try to be polite. I try to be friendly, but I have a standard that I expect from myself and others. And I don't really yield in terms of that standard. So I, what that means to me is that Alvin, when he got in there with Rutherford, he has a plan and he believes in his plan. And he's going to be friendly and he's going to be nice, but that doesn't mean you should think that he's a pushover or is going to be able to be bent from what he believes in. Like I think JT Miller, and this could all be negotiations, but I, I think what JT Miller is looking at is Zabanajad's deal, which is eight times 8.5. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be what he gets, but I think that's kind of like an opening salvo. And, you know, are the Canucks going to do that? I don't know that they're going to do that. But one thing I do think the Canucks did this year at the deadline was lay the groundwork for what they are going to do this offseason. And someone said to me, and I think this is a person who knows Alvin reasonably well, like has dealt with him enough to kind of understand. And he said that Alvin, he's friendly, he's polite, he knows exactly what he wants. And it's going to take a lot to get him to veer from it because mm -hmm. he's planned out, he's meticulous, and he has a reason for doing everything he's going to do. I bet you he already knows almost everything that's going to happen this offseason. So how I read that is, in his mind, they're open for business on everyone. Not that they're going to move everyone, but they will listen on everyone. I, I think that's probably true. Like, how many players do you think right now in this league, Jeff, are really untouchable? Oh, no, 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 no. Of course, of course. There's there's a handful of players that aren't going anywhere. But I don't think that there are the sacred cows in Vancouver that we thought there were. Like, I still think that they're doing this on a timeline that fits, you know, the demographic of, you know, Demko, Hughes, and Pedersen. But as we go deeper into this management group, and we start to hear comments like this out of Alvin. I just don't know that they're married to them. That's how it feels to me. And then when I see that, I say, hmm, okay. So maybe we shouldn't let the, uh, the cement harden around any of these players here. Let's just pump the brakes. I think Vancouver is going to look really different next year when they come back. Like, I think it's going to be a really different looking team. To your point about the plan that Alvin has, the plan that Rutherford has, I am imagining that this is a really big plan and it all begins with making cap space and then painting and then making your team. But the first thing you have to do is make cap space. And I think that they have a big plan on all of it, that this isn't just, we're just going to tinker a little bit. I think this is big plans. And when I see quotes like this, I go, yeah, okay. I think I'm seeing this the right way. Yeah. We shall see. Taking us out, a uh, Welsh musician and producer who's released six solo albums over her 15-year career. Kate Timothy, stage name Kate LeBon, sings in both English and Welsh, and her minimalist approach showcases her musical range. From her latest record, here's Kate LeBon with Harbour on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.